and welcome to the Arrow Video Podcast with Sam and Dan. This is our first ever episode. Let's explain what we're up to. My name is Dan Martin. I'm a special effects artist and dyed-in-the-wool film enthusiast. And I'm joined today, as I will be every time, by... Sam Ashurst. And uh, I'm a screenwriter, I'm a short film director, and I'm about to start sorting out my first ever feature. Um, I also write for a bunch of different places about film, uh, and I'm really excited to talk about the bird with the crystal plumage today. But before we do that, Dan, why don't you talk a little bit about the structure of, uh, of this show? Okay, so <laughs> the lovely people over at Arrow have asked us to do this. We are going to be looking at a different Arrow title each episode, uh, either an upcoming title or one from the archives. We will also be giving recommendations based on that film, a sort of people who liked this also liked. Uh, those people are us, by the way. <laughs> um, and, um, and yeah, and then we'll sort of see how it develops from there. But yeah, and we're going to end every, every episode of the podcast by talking about uh, the films we've watched over the past couple of weeks because Dan and I watch a lot of films. Um, so we're going to select some of the best, some of the weirdest, some of the most obscure. And in that mix, there's going to be some personal recommendations uh, to Arrow for stuff that we'd like them to release on fancy Blu-ray box sets because um, we're keen to um, abuse our privilege on this show, aren't we? Yeah, definitely. A little, a little bit of low-key manipulation from the off. <laughs> so, um, yeah, as, as I mentioned, the first uh, film we're going to look at, which you probably know from the title on iTunes, is The Bird with the Crystal Plumage, um, Dario Argento's debut film. Um, why don't you tell them a little bit about the plot, Dan? about the plot uh, so it is the well not the first example of the subgenre of giallo more on that later um, it's definitely the one that sort of blew the doors off as a commercial phenomena for the um, for the subgenre mm-hmm. um, Argento wrote the script not originally intending to direct and um, and then ended up directing it he comes from a, a family that was involved in in film and it was a, a sort of a, a change in in direction for the film for him to end up directing it but he does an amazing job it's a um it's a suburban thriller sort of very um beautiful uh 70s well late 60s released actually in 1970 italian uh people running around solving murders uh lots of uh, lots of nice complex twists and uh a lot of red herrings absolutely and uh argento was uh, nicknamed the italian hitchcock off the back of this film and they you put can, that on the poster you can certainly see um some some resonances there and one interesting thing about argento is he's actually he started his career um in film as a film critic much like i did um so you know i'm planning on being the next argento um but yeah he uh then moved into screenwriting and then as you say um he wrote this not sort of thinking he'd direct it, which is possibly why he wrote it in five days, which is kind of incredible. Um, and, and yeah, it's it's, a, it's a, quite an amazing film. Yeah, it was, wasn't it? Was it Bertolucci who suggested he wrote it? And he sort of knocked it out based on a novel that had been made into a film like a couple of, like a decade earlier? Yeah, maybe? yeah, yeah, 50s. Uh, 50, noir, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And without acknowledging <laughs> that, he, uh, that he was 
lifting, <laughs> like homaging. Well, um, film. yeah, that 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 book and, and the subsequent films called The Screaming Mimi, um, which is a very interesting title. And um, there is uh, an extra on the disc, um, on the Arrow disc, where um, Kat Ellinger talks about the sort of adaptation process. So if you want to hear more on that, then um, check out that uh, great extra. Should we start talking about the film in specifics? Now we're not going to do any spoilers, so so don't worry. No big spoilers. Um, no big spoilers. Spoiler. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we're not going to ruin the twist um, or any of the the twists. The killer was a part of cats. The killer was a part of angry cats. That's a different different Italian director. <laughs> <laughs> that's Fulci. Yes, that's Fulci. <laughs> um, so yeah, um, should we talk a little bit about the opening? Um, I was particularly struck by the as well as the beautiful picture, the soundtrack. Um, um, which is uh, one of Morricone's best, isn't it? this soundtrack yeah absolutely it's gorgeous um obviously Morricone a name inexorably linked with the uh, the Italian cinema of the period mm. um never turned down a job apparently <laughs> <didn't know> <laughs> yeah. but um but yeah really knocked out of the park with this one considering the the breadth of the canon mm. um the, this is really up there as one of his best absolutely and there's sort of shades of Rosemary's Baby in there I wonder if that was a specific influence sort of that creepy sing-song style um, that obviously is, is in a lot of well, um, Tiallo. Yeah, well, and also definitely very linked to Argento's taste as well. Yeah, very much so. Um, when you transpose the writing of the lead character in this, his day job is meant to be that he's a writer, although he doesn't really do any work in the film. Um, later on, Argento, the among the jobs Argento would have his protagonists ignore for the sake of running around solving murders um <laughs> one of them would be a composer yeah and um and he actually does a bit of composing in that he's he's recording and listening back to his own creepy music uh, yeah. during one particularly great scene yeah that's fantastic and he uh, argento makes an appearance um a subtle appearance in this one in the sort of opening moments um he's quite renowned for cameoing as um the black gloved killers in in his films well um, this was actually released under the title the sadist with black gloves in some territories <laughs> so there we go very on the nose title. <laughs> unlike the actual title which not to over explain for fear of spoilers makes little to no sense like it's based on a thing that doesn't really matter that much <laughs> exactly and, uh yeah so I, I guess the next sort of big sequence to talk about is is the um the the gallery scene um also released under the title the gallery murders <laughs> <laughs> there's not really murders in the gallery and um there's an attempted murder there's an attempted murder but only one um it's quite a special scene um obviously it, it takes place in an art gallery but it, it's actually framed like uh, a painting itself um the moment where sam is kind of um trapped in the corridor um is is just so beautifully angled and 
the composition's lovely. Um, what do you think of that scene, Dan? Well, it's, I mean, it is like, throughout Argento's career, he has had a, a direct relationship with old media art, um, which sort of accumulates in the Stendhal Syndrome, uh, which has a lot of pictures by grandmasters in it. Um, and he's about, you know, a fear of art. Um, whereas in this, presumably, uh, those sculptures, the sculptures in the gallery space, uh, were made for the film by the art department. But the entire scene is behind glass as though it were a piece of art mm. because our protagonist is trapped in this sort of peculiar glass airlock on the front of the gallery, mm. uh, unable to intervene as he sees a, an attack taking place um, as the, uh, the traditional leather-coated, black-gloved figure um, slips away unhindered, leaving a, a woman sprawling, bleeding in white on the floor of the gallery, uh, reaching out for help that he can't provide. Uh, and you mentioned the sort of the the, the art theme that recurs in, in his work. There's, there's another key element in this scene that recurs throughout his work, isn't there? Um, the sense of perception and um, what have I seen? And yeah, I think one of the things that Argento plays around with. Uh, and would then be borrowed by quite a lot of other um, people, Italian directors who are coming to the genre. It became a sort of staple. To digress ever so slightly, um, Barber had already sort of set up the giallo standards at this point, and there are obvious visual connections between this and Blood and Black Lace, The Girl Who Knew Too Much. But there were things that Argento brought to the subgenre yeah. in this that then, because of the success of this film, obviously were aped by other directors going forwards. And one of them is very much the the idea that there's an event at the beginning of the film that the protagonist witnesses and they'd, everything would come into place and they'd know what had happened and they'd know who the killer was if they could just remember that one thing and there's going to be this nagging feeling of doubt in the back of the protagonist's mind throughout the film uh, and they'll revisit it in the form of flashbacks uh, at one point in the middle of a sex scene. <laughs> uh, well, he'll try and figure out what was it that I saw, what was it that I saw, um, and this is something that Argento will do a, a, again in his career. Yeah, and there's um, there's another really great um, extra on the disc um, by uh, Alexandra Helen Nicholas. It's a visual essay where um, she talks a lot about those themes and sort of expands on them. You, you mentioned how sort of successful this film was. It's kind of hard to understate because the Jallo genre um, was popular, but not. It was a subgenre. It wasn't hugely popular in, in Italy. But this film kind of changed all that and made it a huge box office proposition it ran for what was it six years six years yeah i mean i think it was a little slow to take off but then as um as people started to to become aware of it, it not was... not that slow actually um because um sergio martino credits um this film as being the because martino used to do like two to three films a year um but bird with the crystal plumage's success is what made him um, go into... Transition into Giallo. Into Giallo. And um, Strange Vice of Mrs. Ward was, what was that, 1971? I think so, yeah. So um, that that wasn't... He must have sort of gone into that pretty swiftly after this. And Martino describes the sort of atmosphere of watching Giallo in the cinema as being akin to going to a football match. So audiences were clearly... Um, het up and making noise and getting excited and so on at various twists. So, a lot of look behind you. Yeah, so I kind of, yeah, I really wish I could have seen this film in that context. But the next best thing is this Blu-ray because it's beautiful. 
Yeah, they really have done a lovely job with it. Um, there have been a bunch of different versions on different media over the years. Uh, I think this is the third Blu-ray that I own, uh, third Blu-ray release of it. And comparing it to the, the Blue Underground Blu-ray, the American Blu-ray, mm. uh, which is, I think, the first Blu-ray I picked up of it, it's it's notably crisper, uh, and I do think it's probably the closest you're going to be able to get to the feeling of watching it as it was intended mm. um, in your own home, unless you... Well, I mean, even now, cine prints are going to be scratchy and buggered. It's one of the reasons they have to do the remaster. And um, because it's so crisp and, and, and clean and beautiful, and we had several thank you Blu-ray moments in this film. <laughs> um, and why don't you explain what thank you Blu-ray means to us specifically, Dan? So thank you Blu-ray is a phrase that sort of generated um, in our house a few years back when the, when the Blu-ray thing started happening. Um, and rather than it just being how a new film was released, because it was the media de jour, old films that we'd only previously seen on crappy VHS, mm. maybe even like third or fourth generation bootleg VHS back in the 90s, um, we would uh, we'd suddenly start seeing all these things that we'd never noticed before. And the first one of these, the first time any of us said, oh, thank you, Blu-ray, um, was during a, a screening of The Beyond. Uh, one of the cars that turns up at the house has a, uh, a Jesus fish bumper sticker on it that had never been crisp enough to be distinguishable before so that was the first time it was said but then I think a, a few days later um, we were watching a Blu-ray of Terminator 2 and yes. we noticed that you can see Robert Patrick's ball bag and, and also I think the tip of his penis but that's, um, um, that's Terminator 1 Terminator 1 Terminator 1 is Arnie's penis uh, Terminator 2 is uh, Robert Patrick's ball bag Dan has a master's in cyborg genitalia, so um, that's very useful. Very important that they're anatomically accurate. Yeah, and um, one that I remember, um, we watched Total Recall. Why were you so obsessed with Schwarzenegger? Um, <laughs> there's a Total Recall disc where you can kind of see the fishing wire. There's, yeah, it's the explosion down in the mines. That's it. Uh, and when the explosion goes off, there's a little ball of flame, which would have just been a, a gas ignition uh, with little to no actual percussive force. And so to give the impression that it's blowing everything around, all of the uh, all of the the uh, construction site lamps fall That's over, it. but they're all on fishing line. And in the Blu-ray, you can really see the fishing line. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but yeah, to to go back to the the thank you Blu-ray moment uh, on this disc, we meet a, a painter uh, later on in the film, um, and yeah. for the first time, I noticed that he's got like different patches of coloured paint in his beard. Um, not quite sure how it got there, but um, that's one. Uh, did you spot any thank you Blu-ray moments, Dan? Um, I mean, there's a few. I think the best one is actually another one that you spotted, which is on the policeman, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, uh, it's it's a minor thank you Blu-ray moment, but um, there's a smattering of, of dandruff on the police inspector's suit. I'm not sure they wanted us to see that. Yeah, well, that's the, that's the other thing, is that occasionally these films get cleaned up and and crisped up in such a way that you're seeing things that no one ever thought you'd notice in the original format. You're watching, you know, an old print uh, at the cinema. You probably wouldn't notice the dandruff then. This is now cleaner than that. And obviously we're allowed to rewind it. Not that I'm necessarily <laughs> uh, obsessive over the dandruff, but it's um, <laughs> the, one of the examples I've, I've, I've talked about uh, privately before, not to you guys. <laughs> Sorry. Um, in the uh, on the Criterion Blu-ray of um, Alan Pressburger's Red Shoes, you mm. can see every bobby pin mm. in the hair and every brush stroke in the makeup mm. around the hairline. Uh, and you have to think that you know those artists, the makeup artists and the hair artists, never knew 
that like had never envisioned that this was how we were going to be able to like inspect every single tiny bit of their work. Um, so with that in mind, it's amazing how well this film stands up. Actually, it's, yeah. you know, an odd bit of dandruff aside, yeah, <laughs> it really is. Like they've they've really shot it beautifully. It, it really stands up. I think. And and you did notice uh, another fun uh, thank you Blu-ray moment uh, involving a statue. Oh yeah. Uh, so in the um, again, like one has to wonder whether or not this is because we've watched this a thousand times, and every time you see it, you're looking at a different bit of the screen. True, very true. But uh, one thing we noticed on this watch, uh, which we have ascribed to thank you Blu-ray, is that there is a peculiar fiberglass statue in the background of our protagonist's apartment, uh, facing the wall just below the big window. And it has, for some reason, a photograph uh, taped over its bum crack. And, and that's what we noticed. We've seen the statue before, but we, we've never sort of picked up on the fact that um, there's a, a minor bit of censorship going on. And, and yet, <laughs> at the end of the film, as the, uh, as the plot starts to unfold, uh, the bum crack is revealed. It is uh, the photograph is gone when we go back to the apartment. No, uh, no explanation is given Just as a, to why they have decided to... Just uh, an added bit of sort of subconscious psychological tension he's put in there. <laughs> Definitely on purpose. Um, and uh, just to round off the thank you Blu-ray section, there's uh, a newsstand at the start of the film where uh, one of the sporting characters uh, buys a newspaper. And uh, we'd previously sort of seen, seen that they have um, Jello books, uh, book covers um, pinned to the newsstand. Um, actually, do you want to talk a little bit about the, the history of... Um, of Jello? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's definitely a term we're going to be using a lot in upcoming episodes. Yeah. I, I can't imagine this is going to be the only one we talk about. It's not. It's definitely not. <laughs> um, but, and a, a lot of you will already know this, but the, the origin of the term Giallo in reference to these sort of stylized, uh, violent thrillers was the, um, like film noir was uh, named after the series of books that had black spines. So noir uh, obviously referred to the way you could tell the content of the book uh, by the cover. Um, Giallo often had these very bright, in, when they were books, uh, bright yellow covers were printed on cheap, slightly yellow paper. And they, they covered a lot of genres. They weren't just, um, they weren't just thrillers. But Giallo uh, became the, the term for these pulp uh, genre uh, fiction books that you could just pick up at newsstands, yeah. um, and so when that uh, those books, those narratives started being uh, started transitioning into film, um, initially with Barva, that title went with them, and so yeah. these became Giallo films. And so at the newsstand at the beginning, uh, we see a bunch of little one sheet adverts for different giallo books yep. um which could be argento just wanting to get some more yellow in there because he is very conscious of using yellow as a visual motif in this film very much so but also is a nice reference to the origin of this uh, uh style absolutely and um the the thank you blu-ray element of this is that um for the first time we're able to see a title uh of, of, of one of the book covers that, that are at this newsstand um, and that's a book called Alla Larga dal Texas in Italian, um, translated into Texas by the Tail, which is a Jim Thompson book. Um, and there, are, there is a connection there because obviously Thompson was known for his violent crime stories. Um, so that, that feels like it could be a, a subtle reference. Um, and there's also a couple of um, cowboy covers on there too, uh, Western books. And obviously Argento, as a screenwriter, um, made a couple of sort of slightly obscure westerns um, 
think five man armies, one of them. But he also contributed to a more significant western, didn't he, Dan? Uh, yeah, um, Once Upon a Time in the West, which he co-wrote, um, and he does say of um, of Giallo that one of the things he wanted to do was take the sort of heightened, excessive Old West violence and and transpose it into a modern urban setting, mm. and that was part of his reason for moving into the into the, the giallo, what will become his version of the giallo format. Mm, absolutely. And so should we talk a little bit about favourite scenes without obviously going too deep into the third act, but um, what were some of your um, favourite moments in this film on this watch? There, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of really beautiful photography in the film. And so talking, as I want to, devoid of narrative, just talking about the visuals of it, because I don't want to give too much away, there's a scene... Uh, towards the end where our character bursts into an unlit building and uh and argento has shot this thing in scope uh it's a really lovely widescreen and yet the only bit of information on the screen is this tiny little lit doorway with a silhouette of our character in it uh and it's a really beautiful uh, really really beautiful frame and then as he leaves the doorway he moves into the darkness and all you've got left is the is the yellow space of the light from the outside world but you do get especially on this print you do get little indications of him moving through the light as he as he mm. moves left to right across screen it's absolutely gorgeous that's yeah that's really nice and um we've already talked about the gallery scene which is is probably my favorite scene and i really do think that it's actually one of the best scenes in a, in a debut feature ever um it, it's so cool but I, i'm going to talk a little bit about a kind of a, a relatively minor scene but um where sam our hero goes to um talk to a stuttering pimp in prison <laughs> and it might be because i watched sitting target this week um so um the sort of prison glass partition moments are, are standing out for me um sitting target if you haven't seen it contains one of the greatest prison glass partition scenes in movie history um where this isn't a spoiler it happens very early on in the film um uh, oliver reed is annoyed with the person on the, on the other side of the partition, so punches through the glass to uh, try and <laughs> throttle them, um, which is kind of amazing. But but anyway, the the stuttering pimp um, played by uh, Gildo DiMarco, it, he's actually that actor is on another uh, fantastic extra on this disc. It might be my favourite extra. It's a really warm and interesting interview with him about um it's, it's got an amazing story about how he started out in his career which i won't spoil here but there's also a great anecdote about how he became involved with crystal plumage specifically where basically he went for his audition and met a young assistant um there who told him that argento was running late so they sat down had a chat for a bit and you know, a bit turned into a while and uh, DeMarco was looking at the clock and then the assistant suddenly said, right, okay, you know, you might as well go. And DeMarco was like, oh, but, you know, what about the director? I want to meet the director. And the assistant said, I am the director, Dario Argento. <laughs> I am him. <laughs> <laughs> Which is uh, a, a cool way to, to cast your film. You know, obviously, uh, Argento would have seen, you know, the, the, the real him as opposed to the, the actor putting on the pretense to impress the director. And he gets to introduce a giallo twist yes. to the interview <laughs> process. <laughs> Exactly. What? How are we meant to know that he was the director? That's ludicrous. <laughs> Just because he's wearing black gloves and looks like Dario Argento. <laughs> but yeah, what else? What else should we uh, we talk about here, Dan? I mean, there, there is so much to talk about in this film, but we do we want to, to be. Yeah, we don't want to wary. spoil anything. 
<laughs> well, uh, have we have we spoken about um, how long it took to write and shoot? Well, you, okay, so one of the things that's interesting about it compared to the rest of Argento's output, and one of the reasons it's, it slightly stands out from his other films, is that he wrote it, obviously, not thinking he was going to direct it. In fact, originally, it was going to be directed by Terence Young, who was uh, a Bond director, Dr. No, among others. And then Argento got attached to the project a bit later. But he had every, he'd done shot lists for everything. He, he had the entire film planned out in a way that he wouldn't do again in his career. So mm. it was much more considered. And he, I think he stuck to the script a lot more in this one than he did in a lot of his other projects which was slightly more freeform and and certainly when you get into things like Inferno can be pretty like delinear and crazy Mm. and while it is still a bit a bit mad it's very very tightly written yeah and I think that that serves it very well as a traditional thriller um Although this was a jumping off point for the entire subgenre to sort of explode and we suddenly got all of these, like all of these giallos coming mm-hmm. out after the success of this one, it's interesting that this is kind of purer in a way. It's building on Barber's imagery, the black gloves, the hatted, trench coated, silhouetted, like killer. Argento introduced a lot of his own motifs at this point as well, a lot of things that would be sort of borrowed by other directors going forwards. But when you go forwards into like the latter day giallo, like especially towards the end of the eighties, they're getting super crazy. Oh, absolutely! Um, and so this does feel slightly quite restrained because of that. Yeah, definitely. I, it feels like all the craziness is kind of pushed out to some of the sort of weirder supporting characters. And yeah, it, it's it, he wrote it in five days, um, which is kind of incredible, and shot it in six weeks, which is sort of just as incredible, really. So, yeah, it's it's really interesting that, you know, he sort of knocked out the script, but then spent a lot of time on the, the storyboarding process and, and so on. He took a holiday, didn't he, between writing it and getting the and starting to direct it. And so apparently he just sat on a beach thinking about it for a while. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, he um, not only did he almost not direct it, he was almost taken off the project. Um, there's an unnamed executive producer um, who wanted him removed um, because he, he didn't like the dailies, basically. And um, uh, his dad, Salvatore, was uh, was he an exec? Um, I, you know what? I'm embarrassed to say I don't know his exact role. He's as a as a credited producer. He's actually yeah. not got that much before this. Yeah. But um, but he was definitely a, a sort of a, a big mover and shaker. He was very much into the sort of sword and sandal mm. um, Hercules style. Uh, Italian subgenre stuff before that, yeah. And Argento grow up around like around film people. He yeah. was very much a film family. When he had been suggested for it, I suspect that there's that kind of Italian tradition of nepotism going on. Mm. <laughs> and and the sort of the title of producer is kind of quite fluid anyway. There's lots of different kinds of producers who operate under that that title. Yeah. Um, but yeah. It, anyway, for whatever reason. Dario set his dad on this uh, exec who went to his offices um, and while he was waiting he noticed that um, this exec secretary was sort of quite um, shaken and a bit freaked out and um, he asked her what was wrong and she said that she'd just watched some of the the dailies for Crystal Plumage and it had really freaked her out so um, Salvatore took her into the meeting and they basically said look you know this is a scary movie we need to keep uh, my son on this project yeah he's Um, very important he's very important so um we should probably wrap up on that note and get on to some recommendations um, based on the film. But um, 
yeah, it, to summarise, this is a beautifully scripted, beautifully shot, wonderfully presented disc. I know this is an Arrow podcast, but um, we are going to be offering honest opinions. And I think pretty much everyone who's who's got this set has been blown away by it. Yeah, well, let's let's do recommendations based on this film. Um, Dan, what, what have you got? What's your first recommendation? Uh, so, uh, Sam, we had a little chat about this beforehand, so to make sure we weren't going to be recommending the same things, and I'm now being... Uh, mocked by Sam because most of my recommendations this week are actually available from Arrow. (laughs) It is a coincidence. So both of my recommendations are uh, Giallo. Um, The first one is another Argento. It's Deep Red. The vast majority of you will have seen it, but for the few of you that haven't, go out and see it. For my money, it's up there as one of his best. But the thing that's really great about it and the thing that connects it to this film for me is that it's the sort of the, the coming to fruition of all of the different planning that Argento has done with the what did I see if only I could remember what I saw I could solve this murder um, uh, motif it's beautifully done the, the the setup of it in Crystal Plumage which I obviously don't want to go into too much because it could spoil it the idea is that he's re- replaying this thing again and again um, and uh, and at the end of the film in Deep Red if you go back and re-watch the film, you will see things you had not seen the first time. And it's it's an absolute treat. Because you're so, well, I am so, as a jaded film watcher, I assume that films lie to me to be able to sneak twist endings past me. So they say, this thing happened at the beginning, but actually they filmed it twice and it was different. But no, it's absolutely so as shown. Good. It's so beautifully done. Yeah. Um, it's like a magic trick it's so good yeah, and actually that film uh, continues his his love of um, connecting uh, old fashioned two dimensional media to film as well because that's the film with the beautiful recreation of the Nighthawks mm. painting uh, which has been copied so many times mm. um, yeah that's a that's a great film one of the one of the best giallos I think yeah. definitely one of the best Argento giallos yeah I love it um, my first recommendation is a, a Spanish yellow, which is uh, La Residencia, uh, a.k.a. The House That Screamed. Now, uh, if you're listening to this in the States, you can pick it up on Blu-ray, but sadly in the UK, um, it, it hasn't been uh, picked up by anyone. Hint, it's not hint. even on DVD, is it? No, no. no, so hint, hint, arrow. But um, yeah, the, the setup is basically, it's a, about a girl's boarding school in uh, 19th century France, um, and a, a new, people, new pupil... Um, attends the school um, and discovers that A, some of the students and in fact their headmistress is kind of uh, abusive uh, to the students and in the background of this there's a killer going around with black gloves and uh, uh, killing various students so um, I won't go into it any more than that but it's also stylistically shot um, some incredible costumes it's beautiful Um, it's really beautiful and it has a kind of similarly absolutely bonkers third act reveal that um, surprised Dan and I when we saw it and we're normally pretty good at guessing twists because we watch so many of these kinds of films but this one really sort of um, knocked us sideways um, but but not in a way that you felt cheated it's like okay that makes sense they've they've sort of laid the groundwork yeah it's a really really lovely lovely film yeah is what do you know off the top of your head what year it was uh, 1970. Okay, so same year as Birth of the Crystal Boomers. Yeah. That's, um, yeah, it's a really, well, Birth of the Crystal Boomers made in 69, held back for a January 70 release, but it's a 70 film release. Really. Yeah. 
My second one is uh, from a couple of years later. It's the uh, Massimo Delamano, uh, super, super depressing Giallo. What have you done to Solange? Um, again, one of my favourites, super bleak, uh, guaranteed to ruin your day. <laughs> <laughs> um, really, yeah, again, beautiful. But it's, um, I mean, the, the thing about the, the Giallo subgenre is that it is a bit, like, it's a bit fluid. You can, there are, there are things that veer, veer quite far from what you might think initially of as a giallo that are still considered part of the canon. For example, Deep Red, which I just mentioned, actually has a small supernatural element to it because one of the characters in it is psychic, um, whereas giallo is not normally a supernatural genre. So to have um, yeah, to have that bit of it uh, in there, you'd think, would take it away. But no, that, so this is, yeah, this is, uh, a, yeah. What have you done to Solange? Just... Bleak, I don't want to spoil anything. Go no, and watch it, it's great. No, yeah. Um, and uh, my second uh, and final recommendation based on Crystal Plumage is a film uh, from 1971 called Fright. Now, this is um, kind of... Uh, it's said to be the first example of um, a killer stalking a babysitter uh, in cinema. Um, I don't know if that's true, but um, supposedly so. Um, and it stars Suzanne George as the uh, as the babysitter, and she's having a kind of creepy night um, as someone is trying to kind of freak her out and and then potentially get into the house got actually uh, a lot of similarities with house of the devil which is um, nothing to do with the jello genre but um i'm pretty sure that ty west has seen fright because there are so many similarities so if you like that film you know i'd recommend it to you as well very creepy kind of reminds me a little bit of the minor spoiler alert home invasion elements of crystal plumage um and it's just a, a wonderful, you know, tight little film. Um, creepy, scary, a great British cast. And, um, yeah, I really recommend Fright from 1971. It's, you know, Fright's an interesting one because it's part of what was happening in England separate to Giallo, where the same cinematic influences that had started to turn into Giallo in Italy mm. were turning into the sort of the British thriller at the same time. Yes. And so it's a nice... Uh, nice sort of artistic parallel and works well. Plus, it's got the other Susan in it. Yeah, the, of the of the two two English Susans rocking <laughs> rocking the thriller world in the seventies. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, that's it for uh, recommendations based on, based on Crystal Plumage. But um, we've got some recommendations based on our fortnight just stuff we've watched our lives um so dan why don't you start there um well when, when i uh just coincidentally actually uh but neatly uh we started uh, my wife and i had started watching quite a lot of noirs going back i um you know every now and then there's that amazing film in uh in in the catalogue in but it's a gap in your in your watching you've never seen it just somehow you've never got round to watching it. Mm. So uh, I had never seen Anatomy of a Murder, oh, uh, the Preminger film. film. Absolutely beautiful. And yeah. um, um, one of the things that um, so it was part of a slew of noirs we watched, like sort of six or seven in three days. Um, but um, this one really stood out, I think, because of how different it must have been then compared to now. Um, for those of you who don't know it, it's again, like I was saying with the Giallos, it's, it's only a sort of borderline noir because it's more of a sort of procedural courtroom thing. It's essentially a, about a defence case for justified homicide. Um, and when it was made, 
people would not have been having the discussions that we have now about victim blaming uh, and that kind of thing. And this is very much the defence case um, in this. Uh, the def- one of the defence lawyers, an amazing early performance by George C. Scott, mm-hmm. um, he's, he's brought in from out of town to sort of go up against this fancy defence lawyer. And um, his prosecution argument is essentially, well, she was kind of asking for it. Uh, and the entire film is this very uncomfortable victim-blaming mm. um, uh, courtroom procedural. It's mm. fantastic. My recommendations are uh, much weirder and <laughs> much harder to get a hold of. So I'm going to actually cheat a little bit and give you a double bill. Um, because why watch uh, one Czechoslovakian time travel comedy when you can watch two um the first one is called i killed einstein gentleman um and it's basically it's about um it opens in the future uh where an atomic bomb has gone off and has given all the female members of the population beards and has also stopped procreation um, and everybody in this uh, future reality aren't especially pleased about this so they decide to travel back in time um, to kill Einstein so the uh, the atomic bomb never uh, comes to fruition um, and it is very very funny very very weird um, kind of feels a little bit like Monty Python um, in places and then don't just watch that though double that with tomorrow I'll wake up and scold myself with tea which is from 1977 and that one is um, it's kind of a bit back to the future um, again it's set in a, in a future where um, time travel is not only possible but tourists um, take trips to different eras and um, the pilot of one of these ships um, dies right at the start of the film um, uh, so not a spoiler um, and his twin brother is jealous of his life so decides to sort of cover up his death and pretend to be him and go and pilot this um, this time travel tourism thing. Uh, but unfortunately, his brother was in a plot, a Nazi plot, um, to travel back in time and help Hitler uh, win the war. So he gets embroiled in that um, in that conspiracy and hilarity ensues. So um, sorry about that, Dan. I did cheat a little bit there with the double bill. Um, and they both star uh, Jiri Sovak, if, uh, if you're a Sovak fan. Um, yeah, Dan. <laughs> Shout out to the Sovak fans. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> I mean, you're here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, well, so following on from my significantly less weird <laughs> week, uh, Fortnite, um, at the end of the the noir uh, a thon um, we uh, we decided uh, my wife and I to watch the, uh, the the arrow blu-ray of your voice is a lot room which is beautiful mm-hmm. obviously um, interesting that you were talking about how uh, it was made as an answer to the commercial success of Giallo mm. um, given that it's really not a giallo. Oh, not... no, no, the strange vice of Mrs. Ward. Ah, uh, yes, okay, there you go. Yeah, uh, yeah, sorry, yeah. Sorry, yes, yes. Well, and there, actually, there is, there are three that I always yes, confuse. you do, yeah, Photos yeah. of a woman of our suspicion, photos of a lady of our suspicion. <laughs> um, your vice is a lot Roman, only I have the key. Um, and the strange vices of Mrs. Ward. Yeah. Um, always have to double check which one I'm talking about yeah your voice is a lot room does get sort of referred to as a giallo it's borderline giallo it's right. much more an adaptation of Poe's Black Cat it is 
um, a little uncomfortable because everybody in it is a dick, um, which means it's very difficult to root for anybody while you're watching it. So very, very demonstrative of a uh, very different era of sexual politics, which can make the whole thing a bit uncomfortable as well. Mm. Um, but it does have a, a pleasingly batshit ending with twist upon twist. Mm. Uh, it's worth sticking with. Uh, incredible, yeah. Um, and I'm going to go for a slightly less obscure one, um, just so that we're, we're equal. Um, in fact, it's ve- it's so non-obscure, you can see it in cinemas this week. Um, <laughs> I saw uh, War for the Planet of the Apes a couple of weeks ago, and oh my God, it is incredible. One of the best um, trilogy enders I've ever seen. So powerful. Um, the effects work is stunning. Um, there's a, a, a moment where um, uh, Maurice, uh, the orangutans, um, talks to uh, or sort of communicates with a, a young a young girl, and um, there are so many close-ups in the film, um, and it's just freaky it's freaky how good these these uh, cgi effects are now um we've seen sort of them increase in quality over the past sort of decade or so but specifically with this film it's like it's leapt forward another 10 years um i was looking for flaws i couldn't find anywhere any anywhere so um yeah um but aside from the, the cool effects it's it's a beautiful story very intense be prepared to cry. Um, it's easily as intense as Logan. Um, yeah, just just a fantastic film. So go and see that this week. Looking forward to that one. Are there, um, uh, is it still Andy Circus's outfit doing it, all the performance it, capture? It is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. really and good stuff. Circus, give him an Oscar for the love of God. <laughs> What's uh, what category? What category does Circus get an Oscar for? Uh, best actor. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> um, what else have you watched? I don't know. What do I want to choose? I'm gonna, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna cheat slightly and go slightly back further than two weeks, just because. Nice. Uh, I want to talk about. Uh, it's the first one. Yeah, it's the first one. Yeah. I've got 37 years. I can dip back into several years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, the Nostradamus prophecies. Okay. Uh, it's a Japanese Toho uh, release. Uh, it was voluntarily pulled from distribution in Japan by Toho uh, after an enormous number of complaints uh, because of the content, uh, and then they re-released it in a, in a heavily cut version. Um, there are uncut copies floating about out there, but they're not the easiest thing to get hold of, but it's an absolute treat. And again, like, um, like Anatomy of a Murder, it sort of takes on a slightly different uh, tone when watched in a modern context. Uh, it's essentially an environmental allegory, mm. uh, and it talks about how we're destroying the planet and we really ought to buck our ideas up, or uh, we've got an unpleasant future battling over giant snails in a waste desert uh, to look forward to. It's an absolute treat. And, uh, and the version I saw had such enthusiastic subtitles that at several, several times in the film, the entire screen was obscured with text. <laughs> that's, that's incredible. And uh, very, very quickly, before we run out of time, um, I want to recommend one more, one more thing. Oh, that's all right. Is yeah, that all right? Um, Killers on Wheels um, from 1976, which is um, a Shaw Brothers biker movie. Shaw Brothers are probably yeah. best known for their um, sort of martial arts kung fu stuff, but obviously they, they made a lot of films in a lot of different genres and this is basically um what it would be like if you crossed last house on the left with easy rider um <laughs> with carry on camping um it is a batshit weird film um 
a lot of fun in places, a lot of not fun in other places. But um, if you can find it, I really recommend it. Yeah, yeah, I really recommend it. It's uh, quite a time, quite a ride, you might say, if you were being super cheesy. Now, we need to wrap this thing up. Uh, I think you're forgetting something, Sam. Yeah. It's um, not just the main feature. Well, well, um, there's more here. Hang on a minute. Like, we've talked about everything. We've given our recommendations. Talked about the crystal plumage, I think. Yeah, we've done the main feature, Sam. But there's more on the disc. There's more on the disc. There's... There's extra features. Extra um, features. Extra features. Why anyone buys anything? Well, what are, what are some of your favourite extra features ever, Dan? I'm a big fan of animated menus, oh, scene selection, and mm. a VGA quality trailer from presumably some TV run. I like the unskippable trailers at the start of the main feature. Do they count as an extra feature? You can't go back to them. Well, should you want to check look, in on? There's something I haven't asked for. <laughs> what? Get in anyway. <laughs> Speaking of which. <laughs> <laughs> Right, okay, so um, what we're going to be doing in Arrow Tradition is uh, giving you a little bit of a bonus um, on top of the actual podcast, yeah. or the main bit of the podcast, yeah. uh, in a section we will eventually more smoothly refer to as Extra Features. Extra Features. Extra Features. Um, uh, this is going to be an opportunity for uh, in some interviews that we yeah. might have gathered and that will be with um, obviously filmmakers and, and actors and all the rest of it but that will also be people uh, from Arrow who are involved in putting these awesome discs together so um, a little bit behind the scenes yeah and um, extra features will also feature uh, news direct from Arrow HQ maybe the odd exclusive maybe the odd exclusive um, and yeah just sort of whatever interesting bits and bobs we want to throw in and Please do let us know what you'd like. Yes, you the listener. You the listener, dear listener. We've got a, we've got an email address. We they've actually given us all, all of the mod cons. Our very own email address, which is um and, and get your pens out. <laughs> <laughs> you can rewind if you want. Uh, Arrow Video Podcast at arrowfilms.co.uk. Um, I'll say it again at the end of the voicemail. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, all that aside, um, what what you're actually here for is uh, our exclusive uh, snippet um, from uh, a ghoul Q&A that I went to uh, a few weeks ago. Um, and Alice Lowe was there, and she said some very interesting stuff about her time uh, on the ghoul. So, have a little listen to that, and we'll be back in a minute to... Um, Give you our Twitter addresses and all that kind of business. <laughs> to round it all off. Yeah, and say goodbye. But it's not goodbye yet. It's uh, hello to Alice Lowe. So I think that your strength is kind of actually going, I'm going to make something that no one else is making, really, and, and make it my own way and do it and, and, you know, try and develop my own voice and, and give it a bit of strength. And, you know, it's amazing that there are companies like Arrow that are actually looking for those projects. And... In my, in my mind, I, I want my project to have longevity. And my theory is that when you are standing out of the pack with your ideas of, of what you're trying to do, um, I think there's more chance of people revisiting the project later on. Like, um, you know, it took a while for the goal to sort of catch fire and people to sort of go, oh, I, I, you know, I get it. And it was, you know, really helped by some industry screenings and stuff like that. But um, I, I also think that, you know, people are a bit scared and they, they kind of need to catch up with um, 
with an idea that's new sometimes and it's like I think people in 10 years time might be coming back to the goal and going wow this is part of a movement of really interesting British film and hopefully for a company like Arrow they're like oh that means I might still be selling a DVD in 10 years time and I think that maybe there are companies that are starting to wise up to that that you can have a massive hit right now that people don't want to watch in 10 years time because it's so generic that it just blends into all the other hits or sequels that were exactly the same whereas um, if you're talking about you know actually entering into a cult niche it's not a bad niche to to be part of and, and the people who like cult films they are collectors they want to buy the box set of you know Gareth Tunley's five films that he made in in the uh, 20 teens or whatever you know like um, and, and so it is a sort of consciously tapping into a cult market but respecting that market going oh just because it's small it doesn't mean that you have to ignore it that was Alice Lowe of uh, Prevenge fame and Garth Marenghi's Dark Place and all sorts of... And The Ghoul, of <laughs> course, which she was just talking about. So, Black uh, Mountain Poets. Black Mountain Poets. Sightseers. Sightseers. How did I forget Sightseers? How did you forget Sightseers? Okay, so yeah, she's done loads and she's great and she's in The Ghoul and you should all buy it and watch it and, and all that kind it's of thing. It's very, very good. It is good. I so, really like it. speaking of good... You can have our Twitter addresses now. Yeah, you can harass us. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us that it all kind of fell apart at the end. <laughs> um, yeah, and we'll, we'll, we'll apologise to you. Um, so you can follow me at Sam Ashurst, which is S-A-M-A-S-H-U-R-S-T. And I'm here for all of your horror gif needs and... Uh, Occasionally, I'll review an upcoming film. And Dan, how about you? Uh, I'm at Thirteen Finger FX. Uh, the numbers one and three, the word finger, and then F for Foxtrot and X for X-ray because I don't like being easy to find. <laughs> uh, and I'm here for all your pictures of my dog needs. Uh, yeah. And then some occasional film stuff and special effectsy things. Um, yeah, give give us a shout, um, and do let us know if there's anything you particularly want us to cover, whether it's a film in the main section or uh, or any interviews you'd like us to try and track down for the extra features. Absolutely, and and just once again, Arrow Video Podcast at arrowfilms.co.uk. You can reach us there as well. I feel like we should shut up now. Um, thanks so much for listening, and uh, we promise we'll be more professional next time. Yeah, we can only go up. <laughs> okay, bye bye. Bye bye.